Welcome to your dog cast, where we feature news just for dog lovers. Here's your Rover reporter, Mary Lou Davidson. Hello, I'm Mary Lou Davidson. I'm your Rover reporter. And today we are talking about something really fun. It's agility. We've seen so many changes in the world of dog ownership just in the last couple decades, but particularly in the last few years. The pet category has exploded with products. You can um, buy all kinds of toys and all kinds of food from vegan to raw, frozen raw, and so on. But also, there are a lot of cool things happening in the world of dog uh, behavior and ways to enhance your relationship with your dog. Things like puppy kindergarten, canine good citizen certificates, and among those is agility. Today, we're joined by a master teacher of agility, Sandy Rogers. She's from California, Rio Lindo, actually, and she's the founder of Ace Dog Sports. Uh, she's here to help us get a better handle on what agility is all about. How are you, Sandy? I'm good, Mary Lou. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us. Let's just sort of get right into it. How do I know if my dog is right for agility? You might not know. <laughs> you might have to put your toe in the water. And sometimes um, folks put their toe in the water, which means coming to a class. Um, my school offered an introduction to agility class. Um, so that's one way is to, to just put your toe in the water. But sometimes, and I have seen this many, many times, I'm a 30-year full-time professional, and I have seen dogs dogs continue to surprise me so I've seen folks come to a class the dog be very uncomfortable like uncomfortable with the equipment uncomfortable with the environment just look like fishes out of water and then week after week they warm up and then suddenly they're um, or not so suddenly in a lot of cases they begin to build confidence and the equipment itself the coping skills that are developed through interacting with the equipment, being in that particular environment, help that dog grow. And agility has a reputation for being a confidence booster. Right. But I'll be honest, I've also seen some dogs be a little bit worried, come in, the equipment makes them a little bit more worried, and each week they get more worried. So there's Thankfully, those dogs are few and far between. They probably have a deep-rooted genetic issue um, that has lowered their coping skills. They're more comfortable at home. And those dogs are few and far between. So you can't tell right off of the bat, but the real answer, or that's the kind of the, the bigger, broader answer, is if your dog likes to eat or likes toys, and has a somewhat athletic body. So right. some bulldogs, if you have a bulldog that's older and overweight, that dog might not be a great candidate for agility. Yeah. But if they like to eat, so they're food motivated, or they like to play with toys, so there's a way to reward them, those are the dogs that excel in any type of training. So speaking of um, older dogs, is there a right time to start agility? I know, you know, by the time they get to be nine or so, it's probably not the right thing to do, but how young can you get started? 
Um, I'm impressed that you came up with nine. Yeah, um, about, about nine is when you really have to ask yourself if this type of activity is actually going to benefit muscle and bone. I mean, dogs are made out of muscles and bones just like we are. So, and, and it really depends on the breed and the fitness level of the dog. So I have had some nine-year-old dogs start agility because they were an athletic body type. They had not had previous injuries and they were very, very fit. They were owned by hikers and bikers that had fit dogs. So I'm real careful when I talk because for every rule, I have personally met with the exception. I start, um, so to me, teaching dogs is teaching dogs. So what my dogs need to learn to be world champions, which I am, and what they need to be safe at the park and the beach are the same skills. So, so having a way to communicate with the dog and being able to influence a dog starts the minute I meet the dog. Right. So, so the age that they start is the minute I get them. And do you recommend an obedience class first on um, just so that, I mean, obviously you can't have somebody running roughshod all over the ring or the equipment. Um, folks in general tend to underestimate um, the influence that they need over the dog, the amount of influence they need over the dog. So there are some places that offer obedience for agility and because um, there are some differences. If you didn't have access to that, the, the short answer is yes. The long answer is there would be some basic training that would be more suited to agility than others. Right. If, you're, if you don't have control over your dog off leash, you don't get to pursue some of the finer things in life. <laughs> you don't get to do as much hiking. You don't get to be at the beach and you probably don't get to do agility. So I'm really inspired to encourage people to teach their dogs to come when they're called. I think our society could, I think we could be more like Europe where dogs are welcome in more places where our parks, yeah. you know, our parks are getting less inclusive of dogs in this country our restaurants are less inclusive. So I'm kind of like this pro get influence your dog, control your dog, whether you're doing it for agility or whether you're doing it to better society. Right. Yeah, for sure. And also it's when you're communicating with your dog, everybody's happier. (laughs) I mean, there's a give and take, right? There's a rapport as opposed to just like the, like when Snoopy hears people talking and it's peas and carrots, peas and carrots. We don't want that. We want them to understand what we're saying and not English, but that there's a give and take is what I'm getting at. You've noticed that I'm using the word influence Mm. a lot. And what happens is, is when we, when we're just interested in having a dog obey us, it's the dog isn't inspired to learn more. They just, they're being made to do what they're told to do. And they don't look like they're thrilled to do it. And they don't act like they want to learn more from that teacher. Yeah, that doesn't feel like a real relationship. Right. 
it feels right. like authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. It is, and I, I'm even moving away from the word training. I, I, I sort of think of training as we train a vine to go up a trellis, right? We force it. We force the vine to do what we want. But with a dog, if you're thinking of your dog as your pupil, that's my philosophy, is that I don't look at my dogs as my children. I, I don't do the fur, whole fur baby thing. I look at them as my pupil, and I have to understand them. I can't be an effective communicator if the communication isn't two-way. You know, one-way one communication is a drag. Yeah, that's not communication. That's oration, right? <laughs> exactly my point. Exactly. So um, let's say I have a dog that I think is ready and... I'm interested in working with you online. Can I start in my own backyard with some equipment? You can start in your own backyard without equipment um, because again, the, so where it all starts is with the chemistry with the dog. So if the chemistry between you and your dog is, it is something. <laughs> Your chemistry with you and your dog is somewhere. So that chemistry might need to be enhanced. And you're going to know that based on how your training sessions go. And you're going to find that out in your backyard. The answer is yes. So then if, the chem if your dog is wanting to just sniff something in the backyard and isn't interested in the lesson, you may need to go learn about how to get your chem chemistry into a different plane, a different place. Mm -hmm. And then once your dog basically you know what it is Mary Lou it's that you can entertain each other right <laughs> you're amused by each other that's what that's how I look at chemistry we can amuse each other mm -hmm. and then we have I have a way to say to the dog you're on the right track keep doing more of what you're doing or that you're on the wrong track now it's like the hot and cold game when you were a right. kid right so if you can do so now you've got chemistry and you've got a system of communication. So that's, that's my, that's what I call the ACE way. It's chemistry, then communication, and then um, skills, then reliable skills can be born. So there are training, there is training teaching your dog to heal on your left side and your right side, getting your dog to come to you, but not just face you, come to your side get sending your dog to anything because we can send our dog to a jump send our dog to the weave poles send our dog to his bed send our dog to his crate we can see so sending yeah. is a simple skill that if you went to any agility school and said i can send my dog to something i can recall my dog to something and my dog will stay put until i tell him to either do something else or recall to me. So yes is the answer. If you can teach your dog those things, um, and then you've gotta be able to also influence your dog somewhere other than your backyard. Right. So you could do a whole bunch of training in your backyard and take your dog down to your local park and your dog goes, see ya, never saw you before, don't know who you are. Can't hear you, can't see you, can't even smell you. So in, in how, how much we can influence our dog is one thing. Where we can influence them, what environments is another. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw on your website, there's a, you have a definition of agility and it starts out with, you know, the fact that it's addictive and that it's this in really enhanced form of communication. So that really speaks to your whole philosophy. And, and I appreciate that because as I said in the beginning, I think we're all looking to get more from our dogs and our relationship with our dogs than just sit, stay, come and, you know, be the heartbeat on the floor next to your feet. Um, like when, you, when you, right? Yeah, the heartbeat on the floor next to your feet. Yeah. Right. Um, when you are working with a dog, do you do any kind of special care, health care, food, supplements, if they're athletic and you want to preserve them as best you can. Obviously, you want to avoid arthritis and what tips can you um, At the agility trials, there is always a masseuse. Most of us use acupuncture. Um, we take fitness very, very seriously. If the dog is overweight, I do not allow them to do the obstacles at full height. Um, like I said, they're, they're made out of, um, uh, flesh and blood and bone and muscle and are prone to injuries just as we are. So there does have to be care. Um, yeah, their diet, we watch all that. My dog's food is measured, and um, their health and fitness. I do a lot of cross training. I do a lot of hiking. Um, so fitness is a big thing when you're competing at my level. But the cool thing about a local agility school and what you can do in your backyard is the training required to be top-notch agility dog, the responsiveness, because that's all it really is, is it's, it's responsiveness, will enhance any dog person relationship. So I might be I might be wandering a little bit off of um, off of your initial question here. I wouldn't want anybody to think that that getting into highly specialized supplements and food and all that was a very big piece of stepping into the journey. Do you think that uh, the level of responsiveness is a direct parallel to the level of intelligence in a dog or no? No, but I think breed is, um, no, that whole intelligent thing is a, is a real kettle of fish because you can have a brilliant dog that's not inspired to interact. And uh, most of it is breed. And, um, you know, we have so many folks choosing breeds based on Walt Disney or whatever current movie is out. We've got a real problem with Huskies right now because there was a movie that highlighted Huskies. And if I went to the um, Sacramento shelter. Some of my top dogs are rescue dogs. Awesome. And um, yeah, and, and I, there's just, and now that AKC has embraced um, mutts, Right. In their agility program, I mean, my hat is off to them. That's a purebred dog club, you know. Yeah. And we have said, "Come on in. The water's fine," which I think is is really cool. And um, so, intelligence is a complex. Like, how can we say if a dog was bred to run and pull a sled, that that dog is smarter than a dog that was bred to kill rats, or a dog that was bred to herd sheep, or a dog that was bred to sit on somebody's lap? So. 
honestly, I like saying I don't, I can't really define what's intelligence. Now, trainability, a dog that is bred to be responsive, like golden retrievers and agility, because they're bred to interact with a bird and a field and a handler at once. So those dogs have these amazing capabilities of, yeah, I'll care as much about you as the obstacles. Where other breeds that are bred to think for themselves, they like, oh, I know how to do these obstacles. I don't really need you anymore. I'll just go do them all by myself. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's what I have on the subject. You came close, definitely. Uh, <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you, I mean, I've attended a couple of agility trials and it was really fun to see everybody out there with their dogs in the little mini tents and you know the excitement was pretty palpable when when a friend was running so talk to me a little bit about what that's like the community yeah oh boy the agility community is um uh, strong in 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 fact i um i did lose my brick and mortar school in san francisco to covid oh. and it was like losing a family because it, the majority of my students have been with me for decades dog after dog after dog so um and it, in an agility trial i've been competing for 30 years and i have seen the same people uh, at most weekends for <laughs> Yeah. And um, it, it's a very tight knit community, and that's why that word "addictive" is is in there. And we have to remind each other to take care of our at home families. And it's funny that you mentioned the gear. I don't think we should talk about the gear because I might really scare um, folks as they're coming in. Because really, lots of us end up with RVs. <laughs> I knew. Uh a woman with an RV and about 20 Shelties, and she traveled all over the country. Yeah. Um, having it's a plan. It's a fun, 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 fun world. Yeah. Tell us about your very first agility dog. Without crying? Can you? I don't yes. know. If you can't, I understand. I can, I can, I can. And I'll tell you, we were just talking about competition. And competition, um, I'm just going to go here for a second. Competition can get the better of people, right? I mean, isn't that the fact about competition? Amen. So one of my things that I teach is I teach the sport from three directions. I teach it from that as the dog's teacher. We have to be trainers. We have to teach the dog a lot of stuff. And then we have to be handlers. We have to be consistent with our cueing system in order to get around the field. So that's like another subset of skills to learn. So I know lots of good agility trainers that need improvement in handling and vice versa. That third subset is a competitor, being a competitor. So some folks are brilliant trainers, brilliant handlers, and they let competition, either fear or nerves, get in their way of success. Or they let it get the better of them because maybe they were super competitive in sports at school and kind of have to remember it's not a ball, it's a dog, if you know what I mean. Yep, so yep. there, I have had the opportunity 
after losing Rasta, my first agility dog, to be able to say, you know, until you've buried your first agility partner, you sometimes can lose yourself in competition. So I look at every run as an honor, and Rasta gave me that. So Rasta was a little border terrier, wow. and um, I got her to do competition obedience. This was back in the 80s. And I had been a horse person. I competed with horses, and I moved to San Francisco, and I couldn't do horses anymore. Oh boy. And I um, saw, I didn't even know about dog obedience. I saw dog obedience at a big dog show, and I told um, my boyfriend that I wanted to get a dog and do this sport. So I actually, we had had dogs my whole life. I had, we had tons, I lived on a farm as a kid, tons of animals. Um, in fact, my bio says my first language is animal because I was an only child um, raised on a farm. So we got Rasta and I did obedience at a very high level. And literally, um, agility wasn't in this country. And a friend of mine inherited some agility equipment from somebody in England. And it arrived. It just arrived in San Jose and we're opening this giant container. And it's like, what do we do with this stuff? And we started researching and, and uh, it was the Nancy guys and Pat Cook, big names in dogs. And uh, we go to the library, right? Because you couldn't, could you Google it at that point? We, no, there, we weren't Googling. We were calling people in England. It was a sport originated in England after horse jumping. Right. So, um, and then the United States Dog Agility Association was formed and Pat was on their touring team to expose the sport. But Rasta took to agility like a fish to water. And we used to put strap a, a car tire in a little red wagon and right. go to Golden Gate Park and set up our PVC jumps. And um, I'm telling you, it was like walking to school with, you know, no shoes in the snow. You must have uh, a ton of, gotten a ton of attention from onlookers. We did. We yeah. did. And uh, um, there were three or four of us, and we met all the time and then, you know, started having competitions and um, the good old days, right? But Rasta became a rock star in, in obedience and agility. She, through my chemistry with her, and developing a system of communication through obedience. Um, I owe her my love for the sport. I owe my next dog, Brink, my place in the map. And uh, Rasta won a lot. She, um, she was a Border Terrier, great breed for the sport, Border mm -hmm. Terriers. Mm -hmm. You have some online programs and offerings for folks who would like to know more about agility. Can you tell us what's fresh, what's new that you're working on? Sure, sure. I've been um, a columnist for the, the Agility Magazine was Clean Run. Um, the magazine is no more. I wrote for them since 2009, a monthly column. And now the magazine has turned into a great store, cleanrun.com, and they have a learning center. And all of my programs are sold through the Clean Run Learning Center. And my, the one I really want your audience to um, hear about is BAM. And BAM stands for boomerang, which is go out and come back. Right. Go to your bed and come back. Go to your weave poles and come back. 
go to something, do a task, wait for further instruction, don't leave, or do something else. Anchor, which is stay put till you're told to do something else. Come to me or perform another trick. And then moving with engagement. And moving with engagement is my term for healing. So healing in a lot of worlds is kind of this militaristic, compliant thing that the dog does next to the handler and he stays in a certain spot and he's rewarded for it or not. (laughs) Not. Um, But I call it moving with engagement because when I'm moving with the dog, I'm interacting, I'm smiling and I'm engaging the dog while I'm healing, while I'm asking them to change sides. So BAM is, you can teach it with a garbage can and a rubber bowl and, um, it can be a very sophisticated handling system. So if I'm on the road and I don't have agility equipment, I can do my BAM program. If I have my bowl with me, I can use trees. So I can stop at a park and send Quiz out around, Quiz is my, my new dog, out around four or five trees, loop him back around, send him to a mark, have him wait. So it's teaching directionals and the basic cues that you need for agility training. Awesome. Let me say one more thing about BAM. It is the type of training that agility is. So if you did BAM, you'd have some skills that will serve you well in everyday life. And you would also know if that type of training appealed to you and your dog. So is it a series of lessons or is it a program that you run through over and over repetitively to get get it down? That's a good question. It's a six-week class, and it's offered as a self-study as well as online assistance with me where I go live on Zoom. And it's very soon to be a community because I've had 90 graduates in the last few months, and they all want to continue on because the six weeks – you can take it, like I said, it's an extremely flexible program. It can be taught at a very basic level, or it can be grown into a sophisticated handling system. Super cool. So Sandy Rogers, she's the founder of Ace Dog Sports. She's a master agility trainer. And you can find her program, BAM, at cleanrun.com. Yes, Clean Run Learning Center, which is in cleanrun.com. Okay. Thank you so much, Sandy. We really appreciate your time and expertise. And we hope you'll be hearing from us again soon. Thanks. Thanks so much.